Well, we've, uh, throughout the beginning of the service, um, had sections of chapter 25 and, and chapter 26 of Acts read. I'm going to finish starting with verse 24 from, from uh, chapter 26 through the end of the chapter. So we want to follow along with me. Acts 26, starting with verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, we got um, two chapters we're going to cover uh, this this trial, this case before Festus and Agrippa that we're going to talk through. And and uh, a lot of it is is um, things that we've talked about, things that we've seen already with Paul giving his defense and the charges again being brought before uh, this time Festus um, from the Jewish people, the false charges that are being brought. And so um, two things that we're going to look at, Paul before Festus and then Paul before Festus and Agrippa. Uh, Festus was the governor. He succeeded Felix that we talked about last week. And so now he is the new governor here uh, in Judea. And, and uh, the difference between the two of them, as you see from the very beginning, is he didn't procrastinate, right? Right from the very beginning of chapter 25, it says, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And then the chief priests and principal men come together again because here's their chance again. We have a new governor. We can present our case against Paul and this time maybe something will be done. Maybe they'll put him to death. Uh, maybe they'll just keep him in prison. And, and this is all good for them, right? This has been over a two-year process since Paul was arrested uh, for quote-unquote bringing a Greek uh, or Greek men into the synagogue. Over two years that he's been in prison. So this is fine with the, the, the Jewish leaders, right? Uh, he's out of their hair. He's not going around and, 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 and they're not seeing Jewish people being converted because of the ministry of Paul. And so for him to stay in prison is probably fine for them because he's still out of their hair. Uh, they want death, uh, but this is this this will do okay we're not dealing with paul um but if we can bring it before festus and he'll give some charge that paul dies then hey icing on the cake right um so the jewish leaders come before paul and they ask or they come before festus uh concerning paul and they ask festus hey how about this how about you 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 send paul to jerusalem just have him taken to Jerusalem and then we'll that's I mean that's where we're all from this is where all this took place and so it would be right for you to have him transferred or transported to Jerusalem and then we'll have the case there and of course Festus you can oversee the case because it's your duty to do that but we'll do it where it should be done in Jerusalem innocent right I mean it would sound innocent to uh, governor Festus but in reality we know that once again the Jews are trying to set this ambush and if Festus says, yes, we'll transfer him over to Jerusalem. We'll do this case in Jerusalem. Then they're going to be hiding out. And 
They're going to kill Paul. And this is kind of like an innocent thing, but for them, they're wanting to kill him. And, and, but I, w- I want us to notice something here, okay? Um, because something we're going to talk about a lot this week and a lot next week is the sovereignty of God. God's control over all things and, and his trustworthiness in the midst of that. That as followers of Christ, we can trust God, who's in control of all things, who's steering and guiding and directing and, and, and throwing what may seem like detours and curves and corners and things we might not have expected. All those things are coming in Paul's life. We've seen that over and over. We wouldn't say that Paul set out and planned to be in prison for two years. We wouldn't say that he planned to be stoned. We wouldn't say that he planned to, to, to be persecuted in all these ways. That wasn't his plan. He just wanted to follow Jesus. And in the midst of that, some things have come along that maybe for some of us, we would say, I think I'd really struggle with discouragement in the midst of that. I think I would really struggle with, God, are you really there? Are you, are you really guiding? Are you really protecting? Are you really doing this? And I think it's important that in the midst of these passages, we notice these even little things and how God sovereignly through Festus says, no, <laughs> Uh, It may have sounded like an innocent request to Festus, the governor of, hey, it might be right for this trial to take place in in Jerusalem. But God, through him, keeps Paul alive by saying no. And we saw that last week when we talked about the ambush that was going to be set. And Paul's nephew, uh, because of God's grace and sovereignty, hears and and goes and tells Paul. Paul sends him to the governor um, or the the, the Roman tribune, and, and he tells him. And so God's hand in all of this, he didn't keep him out of prison, but he kept him alive because his purpose was bigger than that. Okay, now we'll talk about that more. Um, And so I want us to see how God's God's working through that. And and Festus refuses. Um, And so the Jews bring their case, their charges against Paul before Festus here, this new governor. And uh, Festus in. in, uh, Let's see here. After he stayed among them, verse 6, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And so Paul comes uh, before them, and he gives his defense. Now, in the midst of this, um, Festus asks him, would you like to go to Jerusalem? Would you like to be transferred there? I'll oversee it. The government will oversee it. I'll I'll sit uh, and, and hear the charges still. I'll be in control of all the things, and I'll do all that. Would you like to? Well, Paul knows. From what we talked about last week, Paul knows that the Jews are planning this ambush. And so he says, no, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. And here's what here's here's what I want us to take from that. Okay, Paul's not on this reckless, careless death wish. Okay, and he's not. I mean, he's he's gone through a lot. He's been stoned. They thought he was dead. He's he's been through all of this stuff. He's not he's not looking for that. He's not on this death wish where he's just going around and thinking, where's the most dangerous thing that I can get into? Who looks the meanest? Who looks the who's who's nasty? Like, who can I go talk to? That person looks like they've got a chip on their shoulder today. I'm going to go present the gospel to them and see what happens. Maybe I can get hurt worse. Maybe I can put in prison for longer. Maybe I can. It's not that at all. It's just. He has a heart for God and he's following God. But in the midst of it, there's wisdom and discernment. Okay, so Paul's living a a wise and discerning, discerning life. But that wise and discerning life is sacrificed to Christ completely. 
So as I follow using wisdom and discernment, like Paul here, when Festus says, hey, do you want to go to Jerusalem? Paul's not like, yes. I just, they just told me two years ago they were going to set an ambush, or however long ago they are going to set an ambush. And if I go to Jerusalem, they'll kill me. This is it, finally. It's taken this many years, Lord? Okay, yes, I'll go to Jerusalem. No, he's using wisdom and discernment, and he knows this, this is not going to further the gospel. This is not part of, of, of what Christ told me to do, called me to do, which is, I'm going to send you to Rome to present the gospel. This isn't part of that. So, no, I, I prefer not die. I prefer not do that. And so, there's wisdom and discernment being involved in this. There's a great passage in 1 Peter um, chapter 4. We talked about a lot of verses from 1 Peter several weeks ago when we were talking about um, suffering and persecution. First Peter is a great book to read if, if you have questions about that and, and God's plan and desire and all of that in suffering, okay? It's a great book to read through, but here's just one verse from chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Paul, you know, he's obeying this verse, really. I mean, he's living this verse out, I should should say, really, um, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of those things, just trust God and trust him. But, but in the midst of that, do good. Don't, don't live carelessly. He's not on a, he doesn't have a death wish, and so he's making discerning wise choices, but his life has been sacrificed to Jesus. So whatever God brings, great. But I'm going to make wise decisions in the midst of it. So Paul makes the, this statement in, in, in front of the the. the court here and says i appeal to caesar and once uh, festus grants that then the case is out of his hands it's transferred over to the emperor the emperor at this time is nero okay so i just said he doesn't have a death wish right and then you're like well, why would he do that but there's there you know if you've read up on nero if anybody read up on nero at all okay we're not going to do a long history lesson on this right now but you should he was a horrible 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 guy okay uh, the last years of his reign were were marked with just insanity and cruelty by him okay uh, this was not that part of the reign though this is earlier in his reign in the early part of nero's reign he wasn't like that it wasn't marked by those things and so this isn't like a crazy like weird thing that paul's doing he's going before the emperor okay and so it takes it out of festus's hand festus agrees he says okay you you appeal to caesar Boom, you're going to Caesar, and, and uh, we'll send you there for the trial. This had to be amazing for Paul, right? Because if you remember a couple chapters back from chapter 23, verse 11, what did Jesus say to Paul? You put it in your own words. You don't even have to look. Just, you remember what Jesus said? Was it? Be encouraged. Been a good witness. You're going to be my witness. In Rome also. That's what Jesus said. Don't worry. Don't, don't, just be encouraged. Just as you've been my witness in Jerusalem, I'm sending you to be my witness in Rome. Now, when you hear something like that from Jesus, and you're in prison, and you're going through all these trials and tribulations, and a governor over you says, I'm sending you to Rome, 
That's worshipful. I mean, that's confirmation that Jesus is working. And, and just as we talked about before, that he is absolutely in control of your life and he's absolutely steering and directing. And as I entrust myself to him, a faithful and trustworthy God, he's directing and doing the things that he's promised to do through me. And we see that in Paul's life. And so there's, there's this incredible, worshipful, uh, I'm sure, response in Paul's heart of, you are faithful, Lord. You're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. And so he sends him uh, ahead, um, or he's going to send him ahead. But we have this issue, verses 13 and following, that um, Festus doesn't know anything. Uh, he really doesn't know what's going on. And, and, and it's, if you look through verses 13 through the end, if you skip way ahead, verse um, 26 and 27 He's talking to Agrippa, the king. He says, I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know. I've got to send papers with this guy to say this is what you're going to try him for. I really don't know. I I don't know what to write about him. I thought I was expecting some major big deal. But what I heard was that this guy believes this guy named Jesus was who was killed is now alive. And 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 I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to write. And so. When Agrippa arrives in verse um, 13, it says, Now some days had passed Agrippa the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. This was an opportunity, because Agrippa, it says here, was familiar with with the things about Christians, with the the, the things about Christ, with with, uh, the Jewish law, with their customs, with all of these things. He was familiar with those things. And so this is opportunity for Festus. And so he comes before Agrippa and he tells the whole story. He says, listen, I've got this guy who's been in prison. He was handed to me. He's passed on to me from the former governor. And so I've brought him before me. I heard his case and I, you know, I just don't get it. I, you know, I expected to hear some major things because they want to put him to death. And all I heard was just some disagreements about their law and, and certainly nothing that's worthy of death. And so he's telling Agrippa this, and, and Agrippa responds and says, well, I'd, I'd like to hear him. And the tense in that is um, kind of how we know that Agrippa was familiar with a lot of things. The tense in that word where we translate it into, I would like to hear, uh, gives the impression that for a while he had been wanting to hear from Paul. Okay, And so uh, when it's translated from the Greek, we get, I want to hear, I would like to hear. Uh, really the tense, the, the, the meaning behind that Greek word is, for a time I have wanted to hear from him. And so he was probably familiar with Paul, who's like the forerunner of all the Christians. And now his opportunity is I get to hear from this guy. And so we see in um, verse 23, uh, it says, So on the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. Now imagine this picture, okay? You've got the king. He's the king, okay? And so you have the king coming in, and maybe he came in on a cart. Maybe he was pulled in, whatever it was, but it says it's with great pomp. And so he's probably wearing his crown and his robe and rings and and, and there's probably all of this, this music that's playing. And, and here's Bernice, and, and, and she's coming in with him. And that's a whole gross story. Like, Bernice is his sister, and there you go, okay? Um, there you go, okay? Um, enough said. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice come in, and there's this, all this pomp and this music and all this stuff that's going on. And then it says, then here comes Paul. 
And Paul walks out in the midst, and, 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 and there's, a, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, that, that talks about Paul, and it says that he, he was physically unimposing. And, and some people, this is, there's no verse that says this, but some people think that Paul was probably short and bald, and, and, and it tells us he was unimposing. He just wasn't, he, he didn't look like a guy that you'd be afraid of. And so here comes Paul in the midst of all this pomp and circumstance and majesty and splendor. And they bring out Paul and it's like, what? Like here. Now bring out Paul, right? Now bring out the, the real Paul. Come out. But, you know, honestly, there's, that's hope for me, guys. You know what I mean? Uh, no. Here's okay. God's using this guy who's not. There's nothing like big. He's not Goliath or anything like this. It's just God. God's been using this guy for years to advance the kingdom of God, to build His church, to do these unbelievable things, right? And so here he is, finally in in, in front of the king, and he has this opportunity to give his defense before the king. And it says. Uh, and Festus said, King Agrippa, all who are present with us, verse 24, you, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So uh, Festus kind of gives this, listen, I need your help. Help me write something about this guy so we can sing it, send him to the emperor and have a reason to send him. And so uh, the beginning of, of 26, Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And so Paul stretches out his hand and he makes his defense. And, and uh, this is a, um, a popular passage, chapter 26. Um, verse 4 is where he really begins to give his story and his defense. He says, uh, verses 4 through 8, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation um, and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Again, he's saying, listen, I, man, I have lived as they have lived in the strictest way. I, I followed the law to the letter. I mean, to the strictest possible way, I followed the law. And so they know this if they'll acknowledge it. Verse 5, it says, uh, or verse 6, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. He's, re he's referring to the Jews that are there. Our fathers, the promises that he made in the law, the Old Testament. I'm standing here because of the hope that that is true to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm, I'm being accused because I really believe the things that they teach. That's what he's saying. I'm just living out and really believing the things that they say that they believe. Verse 8, why is it thought incredible? I love this. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? What a great question. 
I mean, think about that. You've got this crowd of people here who are who are wanting Paul to die, right? Because of this testimony he's giving. If you asked any of these people, you, did God speak the world into existence? Absolutely. Check. Okay. Uh, God, is he, did he um, flood the whole earth and kill everyone and save a few that he had chosen? Yes, absolutely. Check. Okay, good. Um, did he part the, the sea? Was he powerful enough to part the sea? And, 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 and his servant Moses and his people that he had chosen marched through the Red Sea and it was dry ground. And then they get to the other side and, and God says, stop holding back the waters. And the waters crash down and, and he takes out all of the enemy. Did God do that? Absolutely. No doubt. Check. Can God raise the dead? Well, maybe just not Jesus. I mean, that's, the, that's it, right? I mean, God raised the dead in the Old Testament, right? And they believed that. And, and what it comes down to, did God raise Jesus from the dead and confirm all of the things that the prophets said about him that would come true? That's where the hang-up is. It's Christ. It's just Jesus. It's just, do I believe, will I confess that this man, Jesus, who said he would die and rise again, that the Old Testament prophets who said he would do that would die and rise again, that he really did it. And therefore, do I confirm that Jesus is the Messiah and the way and the truth and the life? And they couldn't do it right? because of their pride, because of their blindness, because of their ignorance. And I love that. Why do we find that incredible? Why is, this, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He does it. We, we would confess that he does. He did it in Christ. Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. Paul, again, going through this. Listen, I persecuted the church. I, I was there, he says, um, in verse 10, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That, that, that really, I cast my vote really is I, I, I cast my pebble. Uh, that's how they voted. And so as they would stand around, um, they would take a vote of should they die or not. And it's this picture of if you cast your pebble in, you're saying yes, kill them or, or whatever. And so I, I literally, I cast my pebble uh, when it was my turn to vote to have them killed. It goes on in, in uh, uh, verses 12 and following. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. And so he tells again the story of, of how he meets Christ on the road to Damascus. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had all when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language. Do you see what's going on here real quick before we, we go on? This is the king. This is all the people. And this is the gospel. And Paul is sharing and telling the gospel, the truth of what happened in his life through Jesus Christ to the king. Why? Because of what God brought him through. Because of these last two years. Because he trusted Christ in the midst of difficulty. And he says, I heard in, in the Hebrew language this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's Christ. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. That's the first time we've seen in his testimony that he said that. And it's this picture of, of what Jesus really is saying is, listen, this fight that you're fighting against God is worthless. You cannot win. You will be defeated. A goad was this, this sharpened metal object that they would, they would use to herd cattle. And so the picture is, imagine this ox being herded and turning around to the goad and just kicking this sharpened object, right? 
It doesn't make sense. It's not going to help him at all. It's going to hurt his cause. And that's what Jesus is saying to Paul is, listen, you're just fighting against God. Everything that you're fighting and persecuting against, you're fighting God. You can't win. And so he goes on again with with the rest of, of his story. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand up upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by the faith by faith in me. That's God's purpose for Paul. And guys, I think that that's transferable to any one of us. That I am sending you, I am sending you out, that you would proclaim and tell about me so that the eyes of unbelievers would be opened, that they would repent and confess their sins and be clean, forgiven before me. I think that's transferable to any one of us who follow Christ. That's God's purpose for us. That's God's purpose for Paul here. He responds to that. He says, this is what Christ said, and so here's how I live. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Who would be? I mean, you're on this road, and and this light comes down, and and God opens your eyes and and, and says, listen, you've been fighting against me, but I want to use you. I love you. I died for you. I want to use you. And Paul's like, I didn't disobey that. I did it. I I did what he told me to do. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. That's obedience to what God called him to do. Going and telling and and calling people to repentance and, and that they would turn from their sin to God. Going on in verse 20, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Not just a a profession of faith, not just saying this is what I believe, but a lifestyle change that says, look at my life. Christ is my treasure. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm living for. I've turned literally, not just in word, I've turned literally from those sins, and now I'm following God. And there's fruit that keeps with that repentance. For this reason, for this reason, because I'm doing that, because I'm telling what Jesus told me to tell, for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I've had the the help that comes from God. We've seen that. And so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This is huge. Saying before all these people, I am saying to you exactly what you claim to believe. And what the prophets that you trust in proclaimed, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. If you have a pen, you want to write these down, I encourage you to go back and check. Is he lying? Is Paul lying? Did did the Old Testament really say that that was going to happen? I encourage you to write. Here's just some of the passages that he's literally referring to, okay? Um, through this, Psalm 22. Read through Psalm 22. It's that, it's that passage that starts with what Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Read through that. That's a prophecy about Christ. Isaiah 53. Psalm 16, verse 10. 
Isaiah 42, verse 6. In Isaiah 49, verse 6. All Old Testament passages, and there's more, but all Old Testament passages exactly talking about what Paul says he's professing here that the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. You can imagine, here he is standing before Festus, who... Festus doesn't know any of this stuff, right? He's not familiar with any of this. That's why he has Agrippa helping him. And even when he told Agrippa, here's, the, here's, here's what this guy said. This guy, Jesus, was, supposed, was killed, and now he's supposedly alive. You can imagine for Festus, this might be a little overwhelming. It may be something odd or different. And he interrupts. It says in, in uh, verse 24, he interrupts and he says, um, Paul, verse 24, you are out of your mind. You're crazy, right? And your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And, and notice there what he says, right? Paul and Agrippa, they recognize, or Festus and Agrippa recognized Paul was a brilliant guy. I mean, a, an amazing amount of education and, and well-educated, brilliant guy. So much that they say, my only explanation is your great learning is just driving you crazy. I mean, it's put you over the edge. You've gone too far now and it's you're going out of your mind. And Paul says, no, I'm, I'm not, right? That's his response. I'm not out of my mind. I, I, I'd be willing to talk to you about that. Uh, Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. These things, just like going back to what he says in, in uh, verse 8, this is not irrational. Guys, If there's a God of the universe who spoke everything into existence by the word of his mouth, just be. And worlds came into existence. And you came into existence by the power of his word. If you really believe that, it is not irrational to think that that same God would send his son, kill his son, and raise him from the dead. That is totally, completely rational of a immense, enormous, huge, uncomprehensible God. That's rational. That's irrational if you're saying you do it. But if there is a God in heaven who speaks worlds into existence because of the power of his word, well, Paul's saying this is not irrational. It's truth and it's hope and it's love from God. Verse 26, for the king knows, he transitions over to the king. See, Paul knows, King Agrippa is familiar. He says that here. He's familiar with the the truth and stories that Agrippa has heard about Christ. He's familiar with these things that have taken place. He's the king and he knows the Jewish law and is familiar with all of these things. And so Paul says, here's a candidate for salvation. I mean, here's a guy who knows these things and has seen the truthfulness of these things. And so let's turn our attention to him and, and, and talk to him about the truthfulness of this. And he addresses the king. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. I love this. King Agrippa, this is the king, right? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. 
I mean, there's some pressure right there, right? I mean, if King Agrippa says, yes, Paul, I believe, he's probably going to lose some, his polls are probably going to go down quite a bit, right? Like, that's going to hurt things. And so he's under a lot of pressure here. Man, what do I say? Do I believe or do I not believe? I know that you believe. Verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? His response is, do you think in this amount of time you're going to convince me to do and be like you? To follow Christ like you? I love this response, right? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. These chains. What's Paul concerned about? The kingdom, the church, not his own welfare. This is a guy who's been in prison for years because of what he just said, because of what he's about to say. If I say this, this is what's put me in prison, what should I do? It's not even consideration. He's not concerned about his own welfare. He's concerned about Christ and building the church. And so he says, man... Oh, this is what I would hope is that whether it would happen today or even in a long time, if I had to spend months and years with you and walking with you and spending time with you, devoted to you, just pouring out to you, even if it took a long time, that would be my desire is that you would know Christ and that you would be as I am except for these chains, but that you would be saved and have this relationship with God. So verses 30 through the end, the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So again, it's testimony that Paul's completely innocent and yet God is doing something through his life in the midst of all this and just as we finish a couple things I want to I want to walk through with you um, what did God use Paul to do here over these last years what has he used Paul to do okay build the church advance the kingdom okay what else Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. I mean, simplified, it's preach the gospel. And here in the last two years, he's preached the gospel to the leaders of the Jewish people, two governors, Festus and Felix, and the king. He's preached the gospel to these people and all of those who gathered around to hear these cases. God has used him to preach the gospel in the midst of all this. And, and, and you know, Acts 26, verses 16 through 18, um, tells us again, Paul... Jesus' purpose for Paul was exactly that. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God is fulfilling that through Paul. But what did it take? What has he gone through? How did how did God fulfill that purpose? Prison. Persecutions, difficulty. And he's been in prison for these at least two years, probably more than that. It was, it was two years from the time that Felix heard his case to when Festus took over. 
So over two years that he's been waiting in prison, innocent, but not doing nothing. He's presenting the gospel. He's fulfilling God's purpose in whatever circumstance he's in. Was God in control of all that? Absolutely. Absolutely in control. We know from Acts 20, verse 23, where, where Paul even says, oh, this is the only thing I know, that the Holy Spirit has told me, wherever I go, imprisonments and afflictions await me. That's what I know. And God had told him, wherever you go, there's going to be trial, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be those things. Just, just continue to talk about me. Just continue to, to, to go and do what I purposed for you to do. And not just that, verse twenty or chapter 23, verse 11 that we talked about earlier, where, where Jesus said, keep talking. You've been my witness in Jerusalem, just as you've been my witness in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witness in Rome as well. And so God was absolutely in control of all of these, quote, unquote, detours or, or hurdles or whatever they seem to be for Paul. And so how, how do we respond to that? I mean, how do we live so that like Paul, no matter what we go through, no matter what direction we do go or wherever God takes us or whatever he leads us through, whatever it is, how do we live? How do we have a mindset so that whatever the circumstance is, I'm purposeful for Christ? Because that's what we want to be. As I finish my life, guys, as I finish my life, I don't want to look back and see a purposeless life. My purpose is this, to glorify God and to build the church. That's my purpose. God gave me that purpose. He told us to go and make disciples. And, and, and whatever we do, whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. And so my purpose is those things. And so how do I live my life so that no matter what circumstance, even if I feel like there's this hard detour that I didn't want to come, or, or, or even if there's this unbelievable path that I never expected of goodness and, and, and wonderfulness in my life, how do I stay focused and keep this mindset of, I've got to fulfill the purpose that God has for me? How do I do that? There's a, there's a passage in Ephesians. We're just going to spend a minute here, okay? Ephesians chapter 6. And it's this passage of, we're not going to go through the whole thing, don't worry, okay? Um, but the armor of God, you guys heard about the passage about the armor of God, put on the whole armor of God, right? And some of you know some, and some of you know all of those pieces of the armor, but there's this one piece that I want to talk about this morning uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, and it says this, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's part of the outfit okay that we're supposed to regularly be putting on for god just it's a mindset is what it's saying it's this mindset of i'm putting on these pieces of the armor of god and in verse 15 it says put on the shoes of readiness and that's what we see in paul is as he's living his life he's living this life of readiness he's he's put the shoes as 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 he writes in ephesians 6 he put the shoes of readiness on so that whatever God does, wherever he takes him, so that if it's prison or persecutions or peace, he's wearing the shoes of readiness. So this is what I know God's called me to do. This is how he's called me to live. And so if it looks like a hard turn, I have the shoes of readiness. God, I'm going to be prepared for that. And I want to, I want to live for your glory and I want to build the church and I want to be ready in all circumstances. And so he puts on the shoes of readiness. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. Gives a great picture of that. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you real quick. 
Starting with verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. That idea, and, and, and you hear that verse put out there a lot of always be ready, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. I really think that's a great picture of this Ephesians six fifteen of of always putting on the shoes of readiness. The King James says being shod with the shoes of readiness. Um, having the, that preparation and mindset as we get up in the morning. I love um, John Piper's uh, paragraph that he writes about this. He says, I see so much encouragement here for an exciting way to live your life expectantly under the providence of a sovereign God. You get up in the morning and you pray and make your plan for the day. But then you pray again and say, Lord, I know that I do not control this day. What will happen to my car? Who will call me at work? Whom I will see at lunch and a hundred other unexpected details. Would you govern my day so that all its unplanned detours are spiritually valuable? Help me to see divine appointments where Satan may only want me to see interruptions and irritations. Guys, um, we're not called to live the exact same life that Paul did. We're not called to live exactly the way Paul did. Crossing cultures and planting churches and devoting full time to, to, to church ministry or the gospel ministry or missions. We're not all called to do that. But we are all to put on the shoes of readiness so that whether I'm, I'm, I'm going to my job or whether I'm staying home as a stay-at-home mom or whatever I'm doing, that I have the shoes of readiness so that just as that section from John Piper where he says, I'm praying that, Lord, whatever you bring, if my car breaks down, if, if I lose my job, whatever it is, I have these shoes of readiness on and I'm prepared that I want to be purposeful and I want you to give me this mindset of whatever comes my way, I want to be used for the gospel. I want to be used to glorify you and bring you attention in the midst of whatever situation it is. We know from, from Acts twenty six eighteen, Christ aims to open the eyes of unbeliever. That's what he says. This is my aim. This is my plan. This is my purpose. It's to open the eyes of the unbeliever. Guys, if we will obey scripture and we will put on the shoes of readiness and that mindset, then he may use you as the instrument to open those eyes. God, thank you so much for the hope in that. God, thank you so much that you are faithful and true and good and kind and loving and that you still are saving people by your grace, not by our works. God, would you help us to have this mindset that is in Paul and that is in Christ that we would put on the shoes of readiness always being prepared. So God, if you if you put a turn in our path, if you put a bump or a mountain in our path, Lord, that we would see possibility of glorifying you. That we would be ready and prepared to give an answer and a hope in the midst of whatever those things are. 
Jesus, we are absolutely desperate for you to do that through us. We cannot do it ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us and to fill us with the fruit that comes from you, Holy Spirit. And we need you to guide us. We need you to give us a love for you that is led by you. So I pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen.